it's creepier to see in the film than even in the book to read about. Like in the book, I feel like Stephanie Meyer kind of like really thought, oh, this is going to be romantic. And but like in the in the movie, when she turns around and he's just in the fucking room, like that's some scary shit. And then she's like, how often do you do that? And he's like, I've been here for months. That's fucking scary, man. Like you're watching me sleep for months all like all night. She's like, are you listening to me fart in my sleep? Like, what's going on? This is weird. Exactly. Yeah, it's too much, (laughs) too soon. Like, invasive, okay? Come on. Friends, to episode 263 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And I'm writer Luke Elliott. And this week we discuss Catherine Hardwick's 2008 film, Twilight. Hold on tight, Spider Monkey. It's time. <laughs> Here we are. Wow, what a way to start. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it's my new favorite line in any movie, I think. <laughs> it is the best. It's uh, probably the greatest line of all time. <laughs> This is Catherine Hardwick's second project that we've covered this this year. Do you remember the first? No, this year? Actually, actually, no. I guess it would have been, let's say, calendar year. Oh, okay. Within a calendar year? 365 days. Oh, man. You must have mentioned this to me in one of our breakdowns that she that she directed Twilight. I did, I yeah. can't think of it, man. I'm drawing a blank. It was an episode of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Oh, okay. Okay, which one? Dreams in the Witch House, the Rupert Grant one. Okay, yeah, I didn't love that one. There was that Lovecraft, I forget. I think oh, it was, Oh, yeah, right? that was Lovecraft, yep. That's one of her most recent credits, but she's also known for Lords of Dogtown, which I mentioned when we covered that episode, um, which was, okay. you know, that was a fun little skateboarding movie that came out in like, I don't know, 2005 or so. I've heard of it. Good times. And then uh, she's done a lot of television, but yeah, it's cool that we're, we're back around to Twilight. And, uh, you know, with last week... I had a lot of fun with last week's episode. I think from what I understand, a lot of our listeners enjoyed it as well. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's been doing well. Read it for the first time. I'd never seen this movie going into it. I think this movie does a good job encapsulating. It's like a time capsule, right? Like we're looking back at a time and something that would define in some ways for, for popular culture, certain like aesthetics and ways that people would act and sort of things that we addressed last week is... I, you know, I saw these movies as something that a lot of women were interested in and I was interested sure. in women. So it's like kind of a <laughs> a way to understand and, and start to try to peer behind the curtain. I don't what think it was of, that. What kind of lessons did you learn watching this movie? That's what I was going to say. I don't <laughs> think it was that formative, but, I, but it was an interesting exercise to be like, all right, let me try to suss out what's going on here and why people <laughs> are so interested in these characters. And um, it's, it's sort of holds back some of the explicitness of what a relationship like this could could hold. And I think that that's enticing to a lot of people. And yeah, very chaste. Although the movie gets a little more risque, uh, it felt like in some of those makeout scenes. Sure. Were, were a little more scandalous than, than I think that we got in the book. Bedroom scenes and stuff. Yeah, yeah for sure. Looks, uh, maybe some would say titillating looks or something like some, yeah. some sort of, there, there's definitely a lot of like weird groans and moans and looks <laughs> and, and faces. Yeah. But you know, that's getting into the performance. First, I want to talk about just the look of the film and, and what you thought. Yeah. This is the Pacific Northwest. So tell me, if I, cause I don't remember it exactly looking this blue. Yeah. Why is this movie so blue? I don't know. I, I like messing with color and I think grading this film in a, in a cool and unique way. There are other, there are plenty of films that do this for different areas. Like you think of Breaking Bad and you think of that orange hue 
the matrix with the green and and like i am a sucker for like kind of saturated this is almost a desaturated look but but i like choices i like bold choices desaturated and blue yeah yeah but there's something cool about it like it's a bit much in some scenes but there are there are scenes that aren't blue like there's like a candlelit dinner that they have yeah it's i don't know if it's like the light in those scenes is like overwhelming the blueness of it or if if they actually like kind of eased off on the on the knob yeah. <laughs> I do think, yeah, that's what I'll say too, is I do think many have pointed at this to this film and been like, this is just, it's just not subtle, right? Like the, the idea with some, a lot of this is just to give subtlety to a film and, and texture and layering. And like, this is just like very blue uh, in your face about like what it's trying to convey with the look of the film. Yeah, that's how I felt about it, man. Like I didn't like it. I didn't like the look, um, but it felt like it could have worked for me if it had just been less. It just felt like they went way too hard on it. And the reason I didn't like it is it was distracting. Like, I couldn't watch a scene without thinking about how unreal it looked. I want my scenes to still look like real life on in some level. And it, this just looked beyond the pale. Now, I will say on, like, a really gray day here in Portland, you go outside and it is kind of a desaturated look. It does feel like some of the colors are gone. Um, so I'm, I'm fine with this as a general idea. But, yeah, I just thought it was too much. And, and so I, we haven't really talked like general thoughts yet. The reputation of this movie was that it is going to be the worst movie I'd ever seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's what I've been hearing from just the reactions to it, that it was just going to be this garbage fire. It was going to be awful, awful, awful. So I had the exact opposite reaction that I have sometimes to movies where they get overhyped is this movie was sold to me as being the worst. And like we've watched some bad movies for this podcast. Right. We've watched some bad movies for our bonus episodes and, you know, like The Exorcist 2 comes to mind. Like we've watched some real stinkers and I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this isn't that bad. Like not even close. It's not even close to the worst thing I've ever seen. I think it's just people have these really strong reactions. But like, I'm not saying it's a great movie. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But like I, I was sold that it was this like abomination i feel like from the reputation that i've heard from people and it's just i don't think that's true i think it's part of what we saw when we talked about the book too is that people were quick to like grab their pitchforks and their torches and come after this story and they're like it's for young girls and that's something that like for whatever reason historically i don't know in the media and just in general like people would talk about that that kind of material in really derogatory ways and like really pick on it. And, and I, this, this film really like when we were going to watch it yet, you know, at the end of last episode, you were talking about gearing up to watch it and what you, what you might expect. And the whole time in my mind, I'm like, it's not that bad, dude. Like I, it's, it's <laughs> like for one, there's enough to sink your teeth into. It's interesting. Oh, I see what you did there. Oh, <laughs> there are also uh, totally intentional, by the way, there were also choices is what we'll call them yeah. made by direct the direction and the the actors in their portrayals of these characters and i would argue while maybe it doesn't always work it makes it very memorable and people people kind of latched onto this stuff and i mean it's certainly been memed a million times like as much as i haven't seen this movie i've seen like people memeing like i've heard people mention how bella just acts and behaves and speaks and twitches and just her whole demeanor has been talked about and analyzed and memed so much and you know like snl and like it's just i definitely like was expecting it to be even more over the top than it was where else actually like i was not that you know upset with her performance especially after reading the book and like i could tell they were looking at the character and going well there's not a ton to work with the couple things we know about her is she's pretty bland and she's very awkward. 
So I felt like they did a good job and like deliberately chose to show her as being very awkward all the time. She's bumping into people. She's like tripping on stuff. I mean, some of them are more obvious than others, but like even little things like she's like knock a bag off a table. She'll bump into a door, like little things like that she's doing all the time. I think the main thing that people bring away from this, though, is watching her reacting to Edward and the way that they do that. And just the looks, like I said, the the looks, the swooning and the and noises the, and yeah. the way that it sort of manifests is like orgasmic and yes. like, oh, like like catching your breath in your in your throat or like in your, you know, like <laughs> well, speaking speaking of orgasmic when uh, she first comes into the classroom. Oh boy, that look on Edward's face. <laughs> for him the, as well. For him the, as well, right? Yeah. When the fan blows towards him, he looks like he needs to be excused to go change his pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. And and people, you know what? It's memorable and people were into it. People like that. Okay? It's funny. I, was, I, I will give you that. It was so over the top. I laughed. The choices are so, so bizarre. And I, you know, in doing research for the, the movie, for for one, they're very young, right? Like she, I think she was seventeen when they started filming Kristen Stewart, and Robert Pattinson was like twenty or twenty one, something. In oh, that okay, range. interesting. And so they're they're fairly early in their careers, and if you've looked into any of this, Robert Pattinson kind of was super dismissive of it of this, and then all the rest of Twilight for a long time. At the time, or like at since the time. Then? up until very recently as i would say uh he kind of said things didn't make sense in the story and like especially the media picks up on these clips and then they get like circulated like crazy i I watched an interview where all of the cast are being asked like are you gonna be sad to see these characters go and like all of them are basically like no we're we're pretty (laughs) we're pretty done with these characters Uh i think there's something about growth as an actor that that you can understand right you do five movies in, in with the same character and unfortunately like you just feel like the character isn't doing something that you agree with necessarily, or you don't think it's that interesting. And and like, as much as you love the characters and you love your journey here, I, it's clear that like specifically Robert Pattinson and and Kristen Stewart have kind of t- taken steps to change in the public eye to to be seen as as different kind of actors than they were thought of at the time, and they were kind of being. They were worried they were getting typecast, and and like I, you can see both of them went and did in, a lot of indie films and really different films, and they've and they've built like new success for themselves. It seems to me that both of them are trying to distance themselves, like you said. Like I could see growing up and like being a teenager slash early twenties, you get in these big hit movies, and then people see you as those characters, especially Kristen Stewart, like. I feel like people saw her as Bella for a long time and she's had to work to get away from that. Same thing with, you know, Robert Pattinson. You know, he gets announced as the new Batman and I think a lot of people's reaction was not that guy, he's the Twilight guy. And he's still being seen as that all these years later. Very quickly, I think within a few years of Twilight ending, I think Kristen Stewart was was seen as someone who was pursuing different. I remember like Personal Shopper. I think that was like 2014. And that was kind of a movie that that was very indie, very different and, and like more real grounded kind of story. And she just continued to do movies like that. And then Pattinson, I think it took until like the mid 2010s to like 2017 till I really understood like, okay, with good time and the lighthouse. And then he got cast as Batman and everyone there, there was a big thing where I was like, Oh no, he's, you know, he's Edward Cullen. And I was like, no, he's not. I was like, he's amazing in good time. And then, and then the lighthouse, I'm like, he's willing to take a chance like that and do a weird movie like that. I was like, this guy's really got something. So, uh, you know, and then his portrayal as Batman now, too, is like one that I've been waiting to see my emo world's greatest detective Batman that I always wanted to see. 
uh, he's I love that movie. And I th- thought Matt Reeves did a great job with with capturing a lot of what w- what hadn't been shown on screen with Batman yet. So speaking of performances with them, um, it just reminds me of like why he, I feel like he got hate. Why, she, you know, she got hate for this. My sense of this and you could tell me if you read anything about this in your research is that they decided to make Bella's like primary character trait is that she's awkward deeply in love with 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 uh edward right and you know that's mostly it i guess like and so like every conversation she has is like cringy awkward and uncomfortable to watch i don't know maybe i'm being more generous than i should be but i was like i feel like this is intentional like they're intentionally writing all of these conversations to be cringy and like all of her conversations in the high school oh my god are they cringy but they're not cringy by accident. I felt like that was by design. Like they're trying to make her sound like a cringy teenager. And and a lot of characters, you know, there's there's moments in the dialogue. Like there are a few where it's like it's evident that like there's some cringy dialogue in this movie, regardless if you're being intentional with it or not. Well, yeah. And when you start when you start having adults speaking to each other in cringy ways, then you can tell that it's not necessarily all planned. <laughs> it's just kind of how the dialogue is. Yeah. And I think there's there's quite a few things that go into this. The script was written right before the writer's strike happened in like 2007 or 2008 the um the writer was rushing working full time all hours of the day trying to get the script done so that she could stand by the writer's strike and not work after when that strike had be started and uh, okay. you know get better wages and stuff for writers uh within within many different field i i assume it affected publication of novels as well right the writer striker was it just screenwriters maybe you know i don't remember i think it was more of a t- more of a screenwriters thing at the time yeah i wasn't 100 percent on that so this script you know it's kind of a it, it gets pushed through very quickly there's there's this this movie wasn't supposed to be this massive franchise success now they had the idea that it would be a franchise but it wasn't like oh we're gonna make this one and it's gonna be the next harry potter and and it's gonna be huge in every way this and and i think the film the first twilight film kind of shows that too because this blue look goes away as the films go on there are a few like bolder choices this film is very handheld and now i don't remember i just read online that that goes away some but but this film here is very handheld and you mean like the the cameras are the camera you know it's like more grounded and realistic it's that realism hand moving of the camera versus like lockdown shots on a tripod okay i think that's also like a Catherine hardwick signature like she likes to shoot in that way and she doesn't return for any of the the later films oh interesting this idea of cringy dialogue for the, for the sake of being cringy i think that there's definitely something to that and i think that even the performances they asked pattinson to change his performance but he he really locked into this character and he was he was serious about it as much as i think he's kind of a goofy aloof guy he's unabashedly that and and People will look at some of the stuff, and and like I said, I think that the headlines tend to grab some of the stuff that he says. I don't think he hates Twilight. I don't think that it was everything he thought that he wanted in his life, as far as an actor. Sure, he he chose the way to portray this character as like really dark. Like he wanted certain things for the character, and they were like, "Back it off! You need to be smiling. You need to smile in some of these roles." So much so that his agent had to come to set and basically say, "If you keep doing this, you'll be fired by the end of day today." And then Pattinson was like, "He was like," and then the scene—I guess it was the scene where they're meeting the family, where where Bella's meeting the Car- the Collins. And he, if you look in that scene, he's like, you can look and see like that. I was smiling probably the most in that scene than any other scene because they were like, do the opposite of what you've been doing so far. His agent was like, do the opposite. I did feel like his his performance was a little uneven in a sense. And um, I, w- I was getting the vibe that like 
or I don't know. I'm reading between the lines, and I don't. You could tell me if, if you read anything about this or not. But like, that it felt to me like they deliberately told him to play more awkward teen and less 100 year old vampire, and like really try and like age down his performance to match Bella because they made this decision to make Bella super cringy and awkward. If you if you actually take that and and set it beside a very suave you know, like in control of his emotions, in control of himself, confident, um, 100 year old vampire performance. I think that relationship dynamic actually comes off creepier than it, than it does already. Right. Like that makes it seem like she's a naive girl, teenager, and he is not. And instead they, they pushed him more into that like awkward, you know, he says cringy stuff. He looks like he, he doesn't really know what to say at times. And he gets all like, you know, flustered. And that, I think, makes him more relatable and seem more like a teenager. And I took that to be him around Bella. Like, he seemed capable all the time, except when he's around Bella, because he can't read her mind. He's trying to figure stuff out, and he's not used to this. So he's, like, on his back foot, which he's not used to. The The book doesn't have that suave character that you're talking about anyway. No, it, it, I agree. It doesn't. But But it felt like he wasn't as awkward and cringy as he was in this movie at times talking to her because a lot of it was like from her point of view going like oh my god he's so cool he's so suave you know he's he's just like he's always above everything he's he's aloof and you know he's deigning to talk to me whereas here it felt like just two cringy people talking to each other at times (laughs) and it was tough to watch honestly on occasion i do feel like part of it was him wanting to do this like emo thing like he talked about in an interview i saw where he was like he really did want to just play up this like really emotional person who who like isn't able to control all the things that they've been going through and then she turns up and like then makes it even exacerbates that Mm -hmm. he made this choice right he made this and and i think he's going against the direction of of the director at times so i maybe maybe you can even say like it wasn't direction it was robert pattinson's (laughs) choice it it still makes me feel like he turned in some kind of weird memorable performance like i i I can't turn away from that because as much as i don't think that it was like the best way to portray Edward Cullen. And I don't think that Edward Cullen's the most complex, yeah. interesting character in the first place. Part of it's just the material you're working with. But I do think that he like found uh, an angle into it that was like purely his own. And I respect that uh, out of him. And and I think for better or for worse, people people latched onto him in this role. Um, let's wrap up our general thoughts here. Like what, what did you think of the movie as a whole? Where did, you know, where did it take you? Are you, would you be excited in watching a sequel? That's another great question. <laughs> I don't know if excited is the right word. Um, would I be willing to watch a sequel? Yes. If if that was something that our listeners wanted, I'd be willing to read another book and watch another movie. Um, you know, let us know that. You know, maybe vote for it in one of our our, our, our polls. Um, but you know, I I didn't hate it. Like I said, I kind of came in expecting to really, really hate it, and so the fact that I didn't hate it, hate it gives me kind of a positive feeling about it. But I w- the the one thing I will compare it to is I've been watching um, Interview with the Vampire, the TV show. I'm going to be on a panel at NorwestCon, which like great convention in the Pacific Northwest. If you're interested, happening next week. Um, ver- actually, no. As speaking of this, I'm at it. So. Right now, <laughs> come see me at, at NorwestCon if you're in the Seattle area. Um, it's at SeaTac. Anyway, um, I'm doing a panel about Interview with the Vampire. And, like, of course, we covered it. We read the book. We watched the movie. And I'd seen a couple episodes of the show, but I wanted to go back and finish out the season. And I really am enjoying that show. And it's about vampires. It's about a romance. 
you know, it's a queer romance, but it is striking how much better, in my opinion, they nail the danger and um, wisdom and just like, you know, kind of vibe that like a hundred year old, 200 year old person would have. And, and um, specifically Lestat, which is uh, Sam Reed, I think. I think it's you know really spectacular at at conveying that sense of danger because um, he's sort of unhinged um, character. Um, really fascinating performance. Um, there's a lot of good performances in that show, but I, I I'm not I well recommend that for people if you're curious, especially if you're a Twilight fan who's like maybe interested in, in like a queer romance side of it. Um, you want to dabble in the Anne Rice stuff that you've probably heard about. Um, she gets really into philosophy behind it and like the angst of like you know, your mortal soul and like, what does it mean to be alive as a vampire versus alive as a human being? And we just barely get any, like a little bit of that with Edward being like, no, no, I don't want to kill you. Whereas like, that's what her stuff's all about. It's all about these vampires, like who are tortured by the nature of their existence. And so by comparison, it's like really, really rich. Right. And then I look at twilight and it's very sort of middle of the road, easy, doesn't get into a lot of details. Now, of course, audiences are different, and I grant you all of that, but when it comes to like what I'm interested in, I'm having a much better time with Interview with the Vampire. I agree. More complex. That show is doing something fresh that I think even the Anne Rice novel wasn't willing to... Yeah, bringing race into it because, yeah, yeah, which is a is a big change and a bold one, so I give them tons of credit for doing that. Something fresh that that I think the genre needed. I think that that's really fun. But the other thing about this, about Twilight, is how approachable it was and how right. this might be somebody's first genre story that they read or something sure. like that. Sure. Yeah, you, you know, you're not a 13 year old watching that show, or you probably shouldn't be. That's <laughs> right. Explicit at times. <laughs> Interview with a Vampire is not about first times, really. Whereas this is very much about. Well, Louis, when when he first gets turned. He's he's kind of a teenager. Like he's, I guess he's supposed to be early twenties. Like he's young though, um, and so there is some of there's some overlap. You know what I mean? Like you look at a lot of vampire stories and there's overlap. And then, and then Claudia is is a teenager who gets turned later on, uh, a little younger, honestly. Um, and and there's a lot about that and how her life develops as a vampire. Yeah. But I think it, like Lestat tends Lestat and uh, the main character. What's his name? Louis. Louis tend there that's their POV right like it'd be like this story is Bella who's a human looking in at the vampires whereas that's very much like human turned vampire early yeah, on he and does then, get turned very early on and it's more about their relationship over time it's also being told retrospectively yeah. you know framed at an interview much later on but anyway let's let's get back into Twilight some of the effects now some of the effects are weird like when she jumps on his back and they're yeah. running through the forest like Didn't that's always gonna look weird jumping off the trees and stuff looks weird but they're doing it practically wire work and that kind of thing which I think is fun they do like a blurry motion thing to like convey speed but to me it always looks a little weird there's also this uh like ma- some of the dream sequences are done in a kind of a fun way like sort of digitally altered scenes and then there's like her dreams of you, you see like a, like an old-timey like version of of Bella and Edward where he's like biting her neck and it seems like it's like I don't even know what time period that's meant to be but <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that that's kind of fun and, and interesting that they, they did, did show a, a like a flashback to the cold ones meeting the the Native American tribe and I thought that yeah. did not look great and it was like they were trying to hide it behind a, like all, all kinds of filters to where you could barely make anything out but it looked like they just did a bare minimum job on like costuming for that yeah a lot <laughs> of haze in those scenes just trying to like c- cover it with like a foggy day um 
And then there, and then there's some moments like I, I mentioned to you last week. I think Twilight was some of the first times that I really, as somebody who grew up in Florida, which is the opposite corner of the country from where this takes place, Twilight is the first time that I saw some of those like groves and like the open areas with massive trees and yeah, and the the rocky mountainous areas. And seeing seeing the river and like they're up in the mountains up on a high tree. It's cool. When Bella and Edward are out, and she, this is the moment where she's like stating what he is that whole environment i was like man this there's no way that's a set like that's there's some practical location that they found and that was kind of my first exposure with the pacific northwest which, yeah. which is it's beautiful. kind of interesting totally it's easy to show how beautiful it is so um you know it, it would be a definitely a miss if you were to not capture that in this movie <laughs> yeah so i'm going to talk about katherine hardwick now she is an American film director, produ- production designer, and screenwriter. Her directorial work includes 13, Lords of Dogtown, The Nativity Story, Twilight, Red Riding Hood, Plush, Miss You Already, Miss Bala, and Prisoner's Daughter. She became a production designer working with film directors such as Cameron Crowe, Richard Linklater, and David O. Russell. She was influenced by them, gaining experience in their techniques and learning informal aspects from professional conversations. She talked to some about her desire to be a filmmaker and received advice and tips. So kind of cool, jump in on sets with those kind of directors. and, and That's like, always cool to hear about, yeah. While working with such big name directors, she was able to study their techniques. Quote, I always told them I really want to make my own movies, and they were all very generous and gave me tips. Her career as a production designer was crucial and beneficial to the molding of her career as a director. Her time spent with these directors aided her and were able to give her a sense of direction. Quote, as you're riding around with the director location scouting, you hear a lot of conversations and you start piecing them together. So I think that helped me oh interesting yeah i could see that being being educational to hear like how they're going about choosing locations well and just the conversations being being someone who you know often is transported from one location to another you just just talking to people and learning like you know asking questions is something that i tend to do a lot uh and yeah there's invaluable information that you're not getting out of a classroom or a textbook or anything like that just just having a conversation with some people who are experienced like that uh is is pretty amazing through the 1990s and early 2000s, Hardwick worked as a production designer on films including Tombstone, Tank Girl, Two Days in the Valley, The Newton Boys, Three Kings, and Antitrust. In 2000, she worked as a production designer with director-screenwriter Cameron Crowe and actor-producer Tom Cruise on Vanilla Sky. And, you know, that's like two, Vanilla Sky is 2001, and 2003 is her first feature when she shoots her first feature. and. Lords of Dogtown 2005 and then Twilight 2008. So it's cool to see like her trajectory to getting to this point. Has she talked about why she didn't come back for future Twilight movies? Yeah. So the studio didn't want to give her as much time as she wanted for prep uh, to get ready for the next one. Because I believe these movies come out pretty much year after year. Yeah. They probably want to do it while the, uh, while the actors are still a certain age. Yeah, and while audiences are really engaged. so That's true. Yeah, and these came pretty quick. And again, this movie, the development and production of this film are really wild, and, and they go pretty quick in terms of how how big this movie ended up. And, and later movies probably did have a lot more time and a lot more effects budget and just budget in general for the actors because originally the manuscript of Twilight, before it was even published, was taken to someone named David Gale, who was then the executive vice president of Paramount Pictures, MTV Films Division, possibly proposing a film adaptation. MTV Films acquired the rights, and they hired Mark Lord to write a script. The screenplay that was developed was substantially different from its source material being more action-oriented. 
Uh, you're going to love the original plot synopsis. According to Lord, he originally pitched his adaptation as a vampiric take on the play Romeo and Juliet, but MTV Films, quote, wanted to just put in some more action to advance it more and give something more for the male audience. They thought they were going to lose the male audience with too much of a romance. MTV Films was pleased with the script that was delivered, which included, among many changes, the character of Bella Swan being a long-distance runner, cursing, using shotguns against vampires who killed her father, <laughs> being turned into a vampire, and riding jet skis, quote, jet skis being chased by the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> when talking about MTV's original script, author Stephanie Meyer said, quote, they could have filmed it and not called it Twilight because it had nothing to do with the book. And that's kind of frightening. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting because Meyer disagreed with it, but it seemed like it was going to go forward. Yeah. So so maybe they paid her for the option and then she was like a little bit horrified when she was hearing about what it was going to be. And it was, you know, close to being developed and close to being made. Um one of the producers who originally worked at Paramount and then joined Twilight as a producer uh, was determined to get it made. In October of 2006, they met with the president of Summit Entertainment and mentioned all the projects they wished to make and said that Twilight had pro probably the best potential. And then after that meeting, the president of production at Summit obtained a copy of the novel, read it, and passed it on to a colleague at Summit who uh perceived it as an opportunity to launch a franchise and then very quickly you know that's october 2006 and then uh paramount pictures let the rights to twilight expire summit bottom and then the you know the film starts shooting pretty soon after that melissa rosenberg was hired uh in mid 2007 to start writing the script to to you know revamp a rever uh, a better version of the script. You know it's interesting because it's like the movie that got made isn't like the greatest movie ever, but clearly it made a lot of money. So in the sense of like a business decision, it seems like this was the right decision to make. <laughs> well, this is my point in sort of gauging the the level of success that that kind of was possible here. What they thought it was originally going to be an MTV film. I don't know how many how many movies you know that are MTV branded, but I can only name like one or two. And that's like that's just showing that like they were they found a property they found something that could be popular it seemed like it had good bones to it, it seemed like it would appeal to an MTV demographic mm. teenagers yeah, teenagers yeah and I think just based on the fact that it was a novel being adapted and it came out in theaters it it grossed over seven million in just midnight showings and then thirty five million its opening weekend it's pretty good weekend yeah and it, so over the over the course of its run it totaled four hundred and seven million worldwide wow. Uh, and its opening weekend gross was the highest ever of a female directed film at the time. Wow, that's interesting. That's notable. So that's pretty huge. The way that I originally saw Twilight was a DVD. And <laughs> I wanted to note this too. The film was released on DVD in 2009. Between the release parties, like midnight release parties for the DVD and just events that were going on and people buying it, it sold 3 million units in its first day Wow, that it was released. And then as of 2012... It had sold 11 million units and earned over $200 million. So, I mean, that just goes back to what we were talking about with the book. Like, this thing is a phenomenon. And it caught fire with, like, you know, it's, I can't, I don't know if you want to just say just a certain demo because it, I think, I mean, a lot of women in general love Twilight of any age, right? And then I'm sure plenty of men, too. It just became, like, this phenomenon. Um, and it's so... It's so unexpected, it seems like, from everyone involved. Like a lot of people were like, oh, I think this thing could be a hit. And then it's like, oh my God, it's a monster hit. It turns into the biggest franchise for the next few years. You know, she got that $750,000 advance for three books. That's a big advance. 
but it's not a monstrously big advance. But it's a, a, an advance that size demonstrates a willingness to um, promote on the point of the on the, on the side of the publishers because they're committing all this money. They're going to try and make it back, so they're going to de- they're going to devote a lot into their marketing budget for the book. So in a sense, it can become a self fulfilling prophecy because you put so much behind a book that you've already spent a bunch of money on. Publishers can kind of make bestsellers. This is something that's been talked about a lot in our industry. Um, and so you're often looking at it and going like, how much of this was was driven by marketing and how much of it was was not? But the thing is, like, this book continues to outsell projections, do better than people expect time and again. So there is, I think, something genuinely magical, for lack of a better word, about this that that just really appealed to people. That's all there is to it. You know, I, like we talked about, there's the script was written in a short period of time. Principal photography was 44 days and that um, they only did a week of rehearsals. So like this is like I said, this is something that went into production fairly quickly for a feature film. It shot fairly quickly. 44 days is like I would say probably average, depending on what kind of production. But there are special effects and other things that in this film that make it more complicated. I don't know, just the way that the that like you talked about last week, it's kind of like Stephanie Meyer when she submits this, right? She's asking, would anybody be interested in a in a kind of longer than usual romance? Vampire teen romance. And so she she sends it out and then it, it enters a bitty, bidding war. And then like you mentioned last week, it, the culture latches onto it and then starts analyzing it on fundamental levels. What does this mean about you know, teen romance. What does this mean about films about vampires, books about vampires, this genre stuff? Especially once it started getting the momentum of this movie and the f- movies that would follow. Over those years, I think it it truly became the phenomenon that we think of it as now. I bet it was still quieter when it was just a when it was just a book series. Like I'm sure it was big for a book series, but it wasn't twilight that we all know now until the films are oh, yeah. coming out and, and you know those book fans were, were the first people who were fans of the of the movies too so you had that built-in fan base as we see with tons of adaptations but checked in with my wife by the way she was a fan of the book series she said when she was you know a teen and um she would have been like a, you know a later teen early 20s when the film started coming out and she said she liked him okay but was one of the people who was kind of frustrated with certain choices and felt like the books were better um, so, you know, she, she said she didn't dislike them though. She did like them. Just, she had some frustrations with some of the changes that were made, I guess. It seems like there's a, con- like a section of the fans that were the movie fans. And then there's the book fans and people who I'm sure if people who read the book were frustrated with the changes in the film, but the film fans became their own thing. And then it builds momentum in that way. And then it takes on a whole other life where more movies are made and it just like continues to build on that. Interesting way that this developed. Like I said, this is kind of humble beginnings for what would go on to be compared to a Harry Potter or, you know, a lot of the other things that were coming out around the time, the Hunger Games, that sort of thing. We talk a lot about adaptations, obviously, on this podcast. And one of the phenomenons that we see time and again is the nature of the reader and the reader as a film goer and watching the adaptation. And I feel like a lot of the feedback I've gotten from Twilight readers and that I've seen was like frustration over how Bella was portrayed. Um, and I wonder how much of it is that she's such an like self-insert character for the reader that if you find you identify a ton with Bella in the book and then you see this version of Kristen Stewart, 
and it's like it's harder to self-identify i think with that because it is it's another person and it's it's just like a difference in medium like it's always easier to you know put yourself in the shoes of somebody in a book yeah so i wonder if that's part of it probably and and you know i I do want to note too here while we're while we're talking about the cast a little bit I think it's kind of gross to look back and see the way that a lot of these people, like the actors, were treated because, for one, she was 17 when she was filming this. Whether it's direction, whether it's performance choices, whatever it is, um, it's really interesting the way that people like really, really were toxic towards some of these actors. Well, Kristen Stewart in particular, like I think a lot of that was by design for the character, yet I definitely got the sense that everybody thought that's how she is and she's a bad actor and like she just is like that in real life and it was weird to like I, I you know again I I was always on the outside looking into the Twilight fran- franchise but I remember just tons of hate about her portrayal of Bella and like how she is as an actor and it felt like that was going too far because like you know we've seen that that is definitely not something that defines her as an actor yeah so Stephanie Meyer was very involved in the production of the film like like deeply involved. I saw her cameo yeah her can't she did cameo and she was name dropped yeah she ordered vegetarian you know that was a big cameo like, you know it kind of was yeah and I definitely didn't catch that anytime I'd seen this before yeah I mean you have to kind of know what she looks like and be thinking about it but yeah she was invited to, to visit during filming a couple times um, she she gave notes on the script and a rough cut of the film, and she said of this process, quote, it was a really pleasant exchange between me and the filmmakers from the beginning, which I think is not very typical. They were really interested in my ideas, and they kept me in the loop with the script, and they let me see it and said, what are your thoughts? They let me have input on it, and I think they took 90% of what I said and just incorporated it right into the script. This film is very faithful. You know, there are scenes that are left out. There are things that are changed slightly. But overall, the plot's basically the same. That Yeah, Um, definitely. But moving into that now. 17-year-old Belle of Swan moves to Forks, a small town located on Washington State's Olympic Peninsula, to live with her father, Charlie, the town's police chief. Bella becomes reacquainted with Jacob Black, a Native American teen who lives with his father, Billy, on the Quileut Indian Reservation near Forks. She makes friends at her new high school, but finds the mysterious and aloof Cullen siblings particularly intriguing. Bella is seated next to Edward Cullen in biology class on his first day, but he seems repulsed by her. After a week's absence from school, Edward returns and socializes normally with Bella. A few days later, she is nearly struck by a skidding van in the school parking lot. Edward instantaneously covers a distance over 30 feet, putting himself between Bella and the van, stopping it with only his hand. He subsequently refuses to explain his actions to her, warning her against befriending him. Jacob tells Bella about a long-standing animosity between the Cullens and the Quileutes, and says the Cullens are not allowed on the reservation. They were doing like such a job of making everybody in high school awkward as hell, um, and like the guys hitting on her who were just like regular high school guys. Oh my god, they were so bad. They were so cringy. Like, go away. <laughs> and then I was like, is that what it was like? Like, I, I feel like it wasn't, but like, I don't know. I, it's it's weird. Like, they really played up had just how fumbling and, and bad, you know, their attempts at flirting were with her. I, okay, so there's there's like a few things that I think are unrealistic. Like, the somebody running up, some dude like runs up and kisses her like her first day. I mean, I could see it happening, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't, yeah. I, it's uh, it's over the top in my opinion, but sure. in terms of like, especially this time period, I think things were getting a little more self-aware and people were like, I'm awkward. See that? Look at me. Can you tell that I'm awkward? And there's like a, a weird self-awareness there that makes it even more cringy and more awkward than I think 
if you were just genuine. They're all just so blatantly into her. It, it's usually more guarded. You just kind of like talk to people, but like they're all just like all fawning over her, falling over themselves to hit on her from the jump, the moment she walks into school. Sure. I mean, there are people like that. I've... There are people like that, but there's multiple guys like that surrounding her immediately. You know, I don't know. We're not we're not women. So like maybe this is an experience people have had. You know what I mean? Like it, it just it just feels very heavy handed. But um, and then like the, the it's interesting seeing like Anna Kendrick, young Anna Kendrick being this like awkward teen talking about, you know, the guys and the, the high school situation and the, the politics of high school. You know, go, knowing that she would go on to do much bigger and better things. Uh, this role doesn't have a lot of meat to it. And and like we saw I saw an, a behind the scenes clip of her like in the cafeteria and she's like, you know, in the book. All of these people are meant to be like beneath the Cullens and like they're supposed to feel ugly next to the Cullens. And she's like, and we get to portray that. And you're just like, oof, that is pretty tough <laughs> as an actor to just be like, especially as a young teenager, you know, to be like, I'm supposed to be the the normal ones over here and, and that kind of thing. And having to compare yourself to somebody, some other people in the movie when she clearly has leading woman energy and and you know like what she would go on to do again much bigger than some side character in a twilight movie sure sure yeah and more power to her um so a couple moments to talk about the van slide um made me laugh it just like the way it, it like the van turns and then slides like a full 30 feet directly in like a straight line sideways it looked very yeah. silly <laughs> I, I will say this is something too i, I think in a way that's not i'm not trying to be a hater when I watch this, I'm enjoying it. But there are many moments that are laugh out loud funny yes. that are just like, whether it's awkward or weird or look like when he like grabs her and puts her on his back again yeah. and he starts running, like there's something cool about seeing the power. Sure. But it's funny. Yeah, and I think that it's kind of silly for sure. I think that most audience members would agree with us that like some of this is like meant to be over the top and, and like a lot to take in. So I don't think we, I think we'd be forgiven for laughing at a bunch of this stuff. Some of, especially the reactions from the characters, which we kind of jumped over that we talked about it a little bit, but yeah, when Bella walks into the class for the first time, the intense stares and the way that she can't stop looking at him too. And again, like just the looks. Oh, when he, when he comes into the cafeteria for the first time, I put that on our, I put that on our Instagram story. Honestly, it's funny. It's just funny. like the look she's, she's having are so over the top. Um, Again, borderline orgasmic. They're just like, she's seeing this person. A lot of lip biting and like heavy breathing yes. and panting. Yes. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. Which again, I think people are like, people see this and they're like, oh, that's me right now for, for Edward as well. And there's like some, some, <laughs> some people probably. I think there's yeah. a, some reserved, yeah, there's some reserved sort of sexuality baked into this. And I, and I think that, you know, we've talked about it many times. And while it's on the nose, I think some people, so is Fifty Shades of Grey and people love that. You know what I mean? There's, well, that yeah, but that's like borderline erotica. But but what I mean is, okay, so for example, these movies would go on to have the legacy of like taking off the shirt scene, which goes on to be a thing in many other movies since. But I think this is a moment where Jacob taking off his shirt in one of the movies is like everybody in the audience is cheering and stuff. And it's it's that kind of movie. Okay. It's not Interview with a Vampire. You know what I mean? It's not meant to have the same kind of tone and vibe. Yeah, the yeah. tone and vibe are different. And honestly, like hearing about the production and what the, the scale of the movie was, I do forgive more the effects in the sense that it's like they weren't trying to make like a big blockbuster film or it didn't seem like they were thinking this was going to be that. And there are some of it that I was impressed with knowing that now I'm like, some of the effects are are at least unique in in their there's some ingenuity being added because I haven't seen vampires move in that weird 
like escalator. <laughs> oh, that was that was bizarre. I mean, I mean, we're not there yet, but like, yeah. But speaking of though, that does remind me. Um, early on in the movie, they introduced the threat of these vampires feeding on some people around the town, and I thought that was smart to move them up because we talked about how in the book they don't show up until the last third before we hear anything about them. How do you feel about the first scene where we see like this guy working in some sort of like industrial dock area and he's like being stalked and and like I, I mean fine. like th- those are welcome additions like yeah. I'm like okay sure it yeah, feels like the opening that. to like a Buffy uh, episode but you know it's fine I would argue that Buffy has like some connective tissue to this sure that makes sense so moving on Edward appears out of nowhere and saves Bella a second time after much research Bella concludes that Edward has mysterious powers that resemble vampires. He eventually confirms this, but says that he and the other Cullens only consume animal blood. They fall in love, and Edward introduces Bella to his vampire family. Carlisle Cullen, the family patriarch, is a doctor at the Forks Hospital. Esme is Carlisle's wife and the family matriarch. Alice, Jasper, Emmett, and Rosalie are their informally adopted children. The family's reaction to Bella is mixed, concerned that the family's secret could be exposed. Edward and Bella's relationship is jeopardized when three nomadic vampires, James, Victoria, and Laurent, arrive in the Forks area and are responsible for a series of deaths being investigated as animal attacks. James, a tracker vampire with incredible hunting instincts, is excited by Bella's scent and becomes obsessed with hunting her for sport. Edward and the other Collins protect Bella, but James tracks her to Phoenix where she is hiding with Jasper and Alice. This brings up uh, a good point in, in, this, in the film that we haven't addressed up at this point, and that's Bella's dad. Yeah. Um, I think that I think his name's Charlie. Charlie. I think yeah. that tr- this guy, Billy Burke, who plays Charlie, might be the one that I that I think is giving the most believable and the best performance in the movie. Yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it. And he's given like a small role. Yeah. He's just he's just like this dad, and he's like, yeah, I'm just a dad, and I don't know how to be a dad, and like I felt like he was really like lovable and realistic and genuine and like his reaction when like edward's rolling up and like taking her out he's like cleaning a shotgun and yeah then like, it's kind of cliche but it's funny he's not even cleaning it because edward's coming over he's just already cleaning he's already shotgun. doing it yeah if he went and got it out and put it on the table that would have been that would have been different different right, right. vibe but uh i guess my point is just that i think i think that he's good glue for this movie yes in a way that that bella needed uh somebody like that because her mom i didn't feel like i got as much of a vibe from because she's sort of just in the background yeah but he's like the per and, and that scene actually does play well where she has to run yeah we talked about in the book is it was pretty brutal it's a little different here but same same general outcome and yeah it's pretty brutal seeing her one of the more emotional crush and honestly a high a high point in both the, the book and the movie for me and and yeah and, i agree as far as like an, emo- an emotional moment that you actually connect with yeah. and feel yeah. And something I wouldn't have expected. Uh, you know, you would think yeah. it would be something between Bella and Edward. Let's talk about the Cullens, though. Um, their family. Um, I, I, It was funny. She goes over and they're like cooking food for her. And, and it was kind of like adorable that they're like watching videos, like how to do it and all this stuff. And then um, it did it did show that like, uh, was it Rosalie? It's just like she's consider she's like often pretty um, aggressive towards towards her throughout and like breaking the shattering of the glass and the just being like very dismissive of her um, was notable to me. They all, I don't know. There's a look to them and and it feels like Edward is like the one standout maybe because he's not as like, I feel like a lot of them are blonde. Yeah. I think they all are. He's like the one non blonde. So like, well, I guess Alice, Alice kind of, he off, they often all wear white. Yeah. As well. like he, and he wears dark colors. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. By the way, best dressed character by far was Edward, or maybe maybe Carlisle, but like all the other characters, I'm looking at their fashion and the stuff that they're wearing, and like everyone else is just like drab and normal, and then they're like, look at these exotic outfits that he's wearing, like popped collars and like these sweet coats and stuff, and I'm like, damn, dude, that's like the that's the look right there. Yeah, it's tough to wear that in the Pacific Northwest. Is the one thing we were noticing, uh, my wife and I watching it now that we live out here, especially with all the rain. The one time they were actually kind of dressed appropriately when they went to the beach, <laughs> they actually had like those rain jackets on. Um, that's the kind of stuff you end up wearing a lot of around here. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's not very striking fashion wise, though, so I understand why you don't put your characters in it all the time. But even for that scene, it makes sense because there's just like dew all over the place and it's kind of like wet moisture everywhere. Yeah. But um, there's the scene where it's like legit raining and Edward's just like sitting in the rain. Yeah. Like, like pretty heavy downpour. And she's They're like both sitting in the rain, aren't they? They're like having a conversation. She's like covered by the bushes more, but he's just got like buckets of water falling on yeah, him. That would be very cold. Um, basically any time of year. <laughs> well, he's already very cold. So he, he doesn't. Oh, care. I wanted to mention that. I was thinking about it and I'm like, it would be really fucking weird to have someone be as cold as a, like a, a corpse, which is, you know, kind of how vampires are often described. Ice cold. That would be hard to get over. In like some sort of romantic kind of situation, because like, is his mouth that cold? I don't know. Like, it's I, I feel like yeah. it would. Is his wiener f- cold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're asking the real questions. Hard hitting. I have to assume so, right? Hard hitting questions here, and like that's pretty weird. And that would I think that would be tough to get over. And not to get like too uh, risque with it, but Do like, it. is rigor mortis a, a, a situation that we're dealing with? Like. <laughs> I don't understand. Is he just like permanently a, hard? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he's a dead body, right? I would think. Like, yeah. I don't know and if it's I, like... It's so weird because like they're drinking blood. They have... Or it's either that. It's one or the other, right? It's rigor mortis or he's like never... Exactly. ...able to get his blood pumping, He's right? like, sorry, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, well, clearly, I don't know. That, like you said, that that um, that bedroom scene is gets pretty risque and it felt like there was some genuine sparks between them and... Yeah, I mean, it's, of course, interesting that, like, Kristen Stewart has uh, come out as, I think, being gay since, right? Um, it's, my, it's my memory of it. I don't, like, follow her closely, but I believe she's come out that way. Yeah, I vaguely feel like I've heard that, but I'm not sure the specifics on the orientation. Right, orientation. that's fair. Um, it, yeah, it's, just, it's you know, I think they do a good job of, of um, convincingly, you know, this attraction feels real between them. And if that doesn't work, then this whole movie doesn't work. Yeah, I think they were dating, right? I, th- I want to say that that uh, Robert Pattinson and, and Kristen Stewart in started life. dating either after this or something. They dated for, I think, a number of the films also. I, I also read that Catherine Hardwick had to say, like, when they first met, they had a scene together when they were rehearsing, or, or it was during the casting process, actually. Bella had been cast, but Edward had not. And there were many different people... Um, Henry Cavill was a young Henry Cavill was wow. in the, in the was the original pick Stephanie Meyer wanted actually, uh, she, she and and he kind of if you you know now he's this muscle muscle bound dude but back then he was a bit skinnier also wanted to note that uh, Edward made it cool to be skinny too so I appreciate that in this movie <laughs> uh, being a skinny skinny person myself uh, dude doesn't have to be like totally ripped all the time like <laughs> the other movies tend to be and so they had this scene where, where during the casting process where they were getting chemist to see the chemistry together and they like did it in Catherine Hardwick's like bedroom and, and like and like they had like a kissing moment or or they were playing out that scene from the script and 
it like went really well and and Kristen Stewart was like it's got to be him it's got to be Robert Pattinson we got to cast oh, him okay. uh Catherine Hardwick had to go to, to Pattinson who was like 20 at the time and be like she's 17 you cannot have anything happen with her she's 17 right. and then they would go on to date soon after so i after you know she i don't know 18, if there's <laughs> i probably but um yeah interesting to think about that too you know when watching this and maybe some of the chemistry that's there because i do think that there is some chemistry there yeah i think sure. i mean if they started dating that's true I mean, maybe she came out as bisexual i i don't know honestly we got to talk about that one of the many forest scenes i guess but i'm thinking specifically of the one where he shows off that he he, he sparkles and then he like has this display where he's trying to tell her how scary he is and how powerful he is and how she should be afraid of him. And he's like throwing a tree and he's running around and he's like flying to different spots in the woods. And he's like tearing something apart. And he's talking about how he's like an animal. And um, I don't know why, but that I found that very funny and just like, it was kind of just kind of silly. I felt like that was kind of a change from the book. It felt like at that point in the book, they were already sort of committed to each other. And he wasn't as concerned with like scaring her off as much as he was more showing off. Whereas here, it felt like he was trying to, sh- to be like, I'm scary. But I just kept he just kept coming across as this teddy bear being like, oh, I'm so scary. Let me throw this tree. I'm scary. And I'm just like, no, man, you're not scary. You are totally not scary. <laughs> well, oh, my God. Um one of my favorite moments that's really stuck with me is, like you said, he's doing this display. He's like opened up his shirt and he's getting to sparkle on his face and stuff. And she's like, you're beautiful. And he's like, it's not beautiful. He's like, it's the skin of a killer. Yeah, the skin of a killer. <laughs> like, I'm a killer. And I was like, damn it. He doesn't, I mean, it is pretty beautiful. You don't have to like, you know, you're, it can be, I guess it can be both. But yeah, it was always funny to me that, that he said that. Yeah. That, that like um the, the nature of him trying to grappling with, his feelings, complicated feelings about being a vampire. That's the stuff that interview with the vampire does so much better. I think that they really nail and, and rice nail like a lot of that is in the book. And then we really liked that in the book. Um, so that's, that's one where I was immediately thinking of the other show I was watching. Did you notice they recreated the book cover? Little reference there. I did. I did, especially at the end when they showed it, cause they actually did the coloring and the, and the credits. They did that. I think with, with her, with Stephanie Meyer's name, like adapted from yeah, Stephanie yeah, Meyer's that, novel. That moment. Um, the brand of the brand of heroin line made it into the movie. It did, and the lamb, the the lion yeah. who fell in love with the yeah. lamb line, and brand of heroin. I wanted to ask you, like, are there brands of heroin? <laughs> Black tar is that a brand? <laughs> That's my brand of heroin. Okay, <laughs> it's my own personal red brand. apple. Uh, okay, that that shot of him catching the 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 specifics of it falling and then him kicking it and catching it that took 13 takes to get right so i guess oh so he actually trivia did trivia factoid that's cool yeah they actually did it's kind of like scene. the spider-man thing yeah where he like <laughs> catches everything yeah on the on the tray yeah. stephanie meyer fought really hard to get that line to stay the line and the lamb line and it's funny because in, within the quote where she's sort of talking about how hard she pushed she was like it's tattooed on people's skin so like you know let's not change it let's yeah. not do anything let's Let's have it sort of live with the same meaning it had before. Okay, fair enough. It's not my favorite line because I just don't see him as a lion. I, I just don't, I, I never take him, that, like the, that's the thing, that, like this version of vampires isn't scary to me. Like even J- James who shows up, he he's not that scary. They did a better job than the book. I will give him that. Um, they did a better job in the book, but as as these movies go on, I want to say that there are more intense battle sequences and sh- feats of strength. So if that's something that you feel like you would need to see, but but I think specifically what you're talking about and what I agree with is it's not even it's the intimidation factor. It's the the walking around 
like having to navigate conversation with someone who is a, who is a legit killing machine and at any moment could lose control. Yeah, and is looking at you like food. Yeah, I think that 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 you know that is inherently scary. I think. Um, so a couple things I wanted to talk about here in this section. Still, first of all, Chris Stewart takes all of this pretty easy. Bella, I should say. Like she's game. She's like, oh, okay, you're you're vampires. Oh, you're all vampires. Okay. Oh, there are. Okay. Uh, you, you you know, like here, here's how. Well, it's a works. quick Google search away, right? I I could I couldn't get over how much we were googling. And the, stuff. the one that really got me is, oh, that's Alice. She can see the future. No reaction from Bella. Yeah. That's just another thing that. Yeah, that's fine. She's like, dope. Seeing the future is possible. Okay. <laughs> Move on. Moving on. Remarkably, just like easygoing about the whole thing. She's just like, oh yeah, no big deal. Okay, cool. You know, that's my, I just, you just totally broke my reality, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> Maybe partly being young. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention. Well, she also very quickly wants to become a vampire. So maybe it's yeah. just, she's that kind of, she's, she's already in. She's like, yeah, just yeah. tell me about it. I'm, I'm in, I'm down. She's like vampire. She's like dope. Yeah. Make me one. I mean, I can see it too. Like I, I can see being a dumb teenager falling in love and being like, I'm going to become a fucking vampire just to stay with this person forever. Cause that, that's how like yeah. intense those relationships feel. And those emotions feel. Um, so I think it is, you know, totally understandable that she falls so hard for him. Um, another moment I got to mention is the piano playing sequence. Um, it felt like they shot a little music video. <laughs> like it looked like a different moment. And, and like it, it had like this like circling camera and like rays of light coming in through the window. And like Kristen Stewart's like laying on like a chase lounge behind him while he's playing. And I'm like, what is this scene? Um, yeah, it, I got to be honest, though, visually interesting. I, I like that. You know, I, I'll take interesting, that. but like it, I was surprised it kind of came out of nowhere, like a little mini music video of him playing. So Robert Pattinson before Twilight wanted to be a musical artist like he had done Harry Potter and then he used all the Harry Potter money. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting he's in Harry Potter. That's so funny. Yeah, he's Cedric yeah. Diggory. So, uh, and he holds wands like guns, like a gun. <laughs> so that's, that's a cool fact about it. Uh, our Hufflepuff friend. So he he burned up all his Harry Potter money and he's trying to make it as a musical artist. And that's sort of the, he, run, he runs out of money and he's not get, making a ton of success with music. And that's when he starts turning back to auditioning. And then this is where he gets Twilight and he gets pulled back into that world. He actually played the piano in that scene. That's cool. I think pretty impressive. Yeah, I heard he sings like some of the stuff later on is him singing. My wife, my wife told me that. Yeah, there are a couple songs like I, th- I believe when they're at the diner, like his song is playing in the background. That's cool. And the way that they, the way that they found out about that was he was like in between scenes, he would pull his guitar out and kind of play for the, for the you know people, yeah, <laughs> whether they wanted to hear it or yeah. not. Well, he was he was serenading uh, Kristen Stewart apparently. Somebody, one of the producers, <laughs> recorded this and played it back for uh, Hardwick, and she was like, okay this has got to make it into the movie. And and this brings up an interesting point with music in this film because it is, there's a score, but it's it's a lot of soundtrack. Well, I mean, super massive black hole needle drop on that uh, on that baseball scene. Remember the scene that I talked about last week that I was the, it's the most memorable scene. To it's me. very it's like, memorable. It's like an anime filler episode where like the whole cast <laughs> goes and plays volleyball on the beach or goes and plays baseball. And they're all wearing like old timey baseball caps and stuff. Like what the hell? Yeah, like 1920s Yankees gear and stuff. Yeah, and, give and, her and, a like, helmet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she probably needs a helmet more than anything in this scene. There's just the way that the song rolls in. And I liked that song before I saw this movie. And, and like, it's just funny how it's so connected to it now. And there are also, I don't know if you realize it, but even like that. There's like the piano music that he's, I think it's some of the music that he's playing, like the Bella's lullaby. It's like a TikTok trend. So a lot of this music is 
it has kind of continued on past. Yeah. And, Hello, and TikTok. like I said, <laughs> hi TikTok. <laughs> Maybe this is our clip. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's some of the stuff that's continued on and, and like has for whatever reason broken into the culture and, and like sticks around. So they, they definitely do the bat on the ball being the reason with the thunder. They do collide one time, but like, uh, it, yeah, they definitely made the emphasis on it being the bat and ball sound that sounds like thunder. And that makes more sense, honestly, just the way it would crack. I think that's what I remember. I think that's why I was remembering that last week. Totally. I can see why you would think that. But like it was described as no, no, no. When their bodies collide, that's what sounds like thunder. And I'm like, how often are you supposed to be colliding bodies with baseball? I mean, it happens every now and then. To talk about the music also, I I did before we leave that behind. um, Meyer consulted on the soundtrack. So she was involved in choosing some of the music, which includes. Oh, no, she loves Muse. I remember reading that. Yes. Muse and Linkin Park were bands that she listened to while writing the novels. And um, the. The soundtrack released in 2008 from Chop Shop Records in conjunction with Atlantic Records, and it debuted at number one on the Billboard Top 200. (laughs) So, you know, crazy that a soundtrack for a film, because that kind of stuff, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is another example of something like that happening, bringing popular music together. that era where it was still like CDs being sold and stuff. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it did very well. And then also um, Haley Williams, massive fan of the books, apparently. Oh, yeah. Wrote a song for this film. From Paramore, yeah. yeah. Wrote a song for this film with Paramore. So there's, you know, another musical connection. And I love Haley Williams, yeah, too. Yeah, so she's great. I, it's just cool to see, like, how so many things came together at the same time for this movie. In one, it, and it's not the best movie of all time, but it's got a legacy that I think people underestimate. That baseball scene was was kind of fun. Uh, you know, it's it's very over the top, but, like, yeah, it's it, like you said, it feels like kind of like anime filler episode. Like, it's kind of designed to be that way. Um, but then we do see the three kind of roll up on their, yeah, this that weird effect where they're like walking slow. (laughs) They've got to be moving on, got to be on escalators or some moving platforms as they're walking. Like the platform is probably also moving or something. Yeah. Maybe they're on like a, maybe they're on like a carpet that's being pulled by a truck or something and it's It's possible along and they're just walking along it. That's how they did like a lot of the stuff for Captain America. Uh, one of those movies. Maybe, but it was a cool, it was pretty cool effect, but like, I don't know why they all dress like they're in rock bands or like they want to be like that was totally james's vibe right like they're all got like their like chests out <laughs> um i don't know they're all over the top um and then uh the thing that actually i thought was like maybe the cheesiest moment from this whole sequence is it when james like smells her because the wind kicks up and he turns around and he like makes a noise and then they all go into action pose <sighs> and i thought that was the silliest looking hey. fucking thing it just made me <laughs> <laughs> just all like and they start bobbing like they're in a video game like yeah. getting ready to fight you know warriors <laughs> come out and play <laughs> they're about to dance fight like west side story totally. i don't know what was up with that man but uh it it was a moment all right <laughs> yeah so moving on james lures bella into a trap at an old ballet studio he attacks her infecting her with vampire venom Edward arrives and, after a ferocious battle, subdues James just as the other Cullens arrive. Alice, Emmett, and Jasper kill James, decapitating and burning him as Edward removes the venom from Bella's wrist, preventing her from becoming a vampire. In the aftermath, she has suffered a broken leg and is hospitalized. Upon returning to Forks, Edward accompanies Bella to the high school prom, where he refuses her request to transform her into a vampire. They are unaware that James's mate Victoria is secretly watching them plotting revenge for her lover's death. And this also, the summary doesn't mention that Jacob shows yeah, up Jacob shows to, up. to sequel beta. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was funny when they're talking about uh, hunting down James, um, Carlisle says, but he is, uh, I, I'm not comfortable killing another creature. 
and I'm like, what about all those fucking deer you're hunting down in the woods? Are they not count as creatures now? <laughs> you're more worried about killing a vampire than the, you know, yeah, however many animals you've been slaughtering. Okay. I just thought it was a random weird line. Uh, yeah. So uh, I I like the guy who plays Carlisle. I think he's, he does good with Carlisle. But a lot of the other vampires are kind of just not. I guess Alice is kind of important and, and re- like like memorable. But a lot of them are kind of forgettable. The other three don't do anything in this movie. Yeah. Although one guy stands on the back of Jeeps all the time. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. He's pretty, pretty badass. Dude, his hat's like always really like three fourths cock he rides into school just like riding on top of a jeep sticking his head up in the air yeah emmett i think he's the warrior, yeah, he's the warrior one, one. So, you know i guess they're they're trying to portray that and i gotta i gotta give him credit for actually making us like a sequence out of this final fight that is like yeah has dynamics moments and is interesting and shows a fight between him and edward like all this stuff occurs whereas like, in the book she gets knocked out if you haven't read it in the book she gets knocked out and we're just like boop Scene's over, you know, basically like she sees some fighting or something and then she wakes up somewhere else and it's it, everything that happens she hears about later, like kind of described, but we don't actually get to see any of that. Um, so I was glad that that made it into this movie. That's something I wanted in the book. Yeah, it, it makes for a better like climax here. And I think we get a few things that I that I think are really cool. So she gets she gets bit and then we get to see Edward sort of struggle to to stop, you know, removing the tainted poison blood or whatever so sucking the poison out man <laughs> sucking the poison out. so that's interesting to think but then we also see like alice also struggle with, with when she's like they're trying to tourniquet her leg struggle with it but carlisle doesn't notably so that's kind of cool to note that he's like that in control of himself and he's a, well, doctor. He's a doctor right so he must so he must see blood a lot, a lot. that that's kind of cool he is a character that i'm interested to you learn think he about. ever is like sneaking little bags of blood from the from the, like, no, because his eyes are are fucking amber or whatever color those are. Like, what are they like? But I think they turn they turn black or... when he's thirsty, but then they turn brown when you. But they turn red when you've been drinking blood, like the other oh, like three. human blood. Yeah, like remember the other three vampires? Their eyes are like. I red. guess I couldn't really tell a color difference. Uh, with all, everything gets pretty blue in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to but tell, anyway, and it's all desaturated, so it's kind of hard to tell. So a couple other cool things we get though is we actually get to see James get his like head ripped off. I guess it's not very kind of in the background. His, you yeah. see something and going then on with arms him. and stuff. But it was it was cool to see all of the vampires sort of work together once Edward had, had like subdued him. Uh, yeah, I just think it was a it was a better ending. And, and he was uh, slightly scarier than the book. I'll give him that, but it still wasn't much. <laughs> yeah, but he was a little scary. They didn't pursue the whole storyline where it's revealed that he was the one who turned Alice, right? Is that what it was in the book? Yeah, they didn't. I don't think they did. They didn't go that route, which, yeah, you know, it was kind of a little too perfect that that ended up being the case in the book. I mean, honestly, I bet you that's a thing that they pull. They, you know, with Victoria still lurking, they'll probably in the next movie or something reiterate that like, oh, yeah, Alice was turned by, you know. And then we get um, her recovery sequence um, in the in the hospital and the thing that my note from that is just that their story about what happened to her is the classic lie over the top though a little bit classic like over the top lie about like you know an abused person would say to try and make it seem like they're not being abused so i don't know how anybody believes her there's some serious gaslighting like like in this movie throughout well we didn't even talk about the sleeping shit about him like just being there in the room it's creepier to see in the film than even in the book to read about. Like in the book, I feel like Stephanie Meyer kind of like really thought, oh, this is going to be romantic. And but like in the in the movie, when she turns around and he's just in the fucking room, like that's some scary shit. And then she's like, how often do you do that? And he's like, I've been here for months. That's fucking scary, man. Like you're watching me sleep for months. 
Like yeah. all like all night. She's like, "Are you listening to me fart in my sleep? Like, what's going on? This is weird." Exactly. Yeah, it's too much, <laughs> too soon. Like invasive. Okay, come yeah. on. Yeah, and he has a lot of red flags too. With his like, uh, I'm just so protective of you, and it's like he's very controlling. He gas. He tries to gaslight her a lot with like, "That's not what you saw. That's not what you saw." You exactly. Know? <laughs> that was the main one that I want to talk about. Is where she's like, "The car. You stopped the car," and he's like, "No one will believe you. No, That's not what you standing, saw." I was standing yeah. right by you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, red flags all over the place for sure. Um, and, and some of that is in the book, but it, it felt like they really, I don't know, there's just more of it in the movie, it seemed like to me. Um, I will say, though, props to the to the set designer, to the, to the director. She understands that little twinkly lights equals romance. That's just science. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Whenever the, whenever they go to a restaurant and it's a romantic sequence, tons of little twinkly lights around them. The, the finale, go to the dance, tons of little twinkly lights around them. The gazebo, oh man, so many. <laughs> yeah, and these are the moments that I was mentioning before, like the visual language of, of this movie all outside has been very blue. And then you get scenes like this, they're candlelit, they're much more warm. And, and the scene, you know, I think those scenes are well shot. And they, I know, honestly, I'm 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 not kidding. Like, if you are like trying to figure out where to take a date, like find somewhere with a bunch of little twinkly lights, and it'll just it's like immediately like fifty percent more romantic. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Jacob at the end. What do we think about Jacob's appearance and him being like yeah, twenty bucks? It's my... interesting throughout. Yeah, uh, that's something from the book too. Like, my dad paid me to come talk to you. It is weird in both situations. Um, and then yeah, like uh, I I'm just given this line that he said, and that's quote, "We'll be watching you." Very strange. And she, just, again, she, that just shouldn't care. She's like, oh, haha, that's weird. Moving on. Like, not like that's fucking creepy, dude. Why are you saying that to me? Like, come on. I, I'm really curious. Like, I guess I'm not really curious. I'm somewhat curious. What's going no, on? No, you are. You said you're very curious. What's going on with Jacob? Like, I, yeah. I, I mean, he's he's a, clearly going to be a werewolf, right? Like, that's my assumption. Yeah. He's werewolf. Well, it, it, I leave you alone for five minutes and the wolves descend. The wolves descend. Yeah, that was the cheeky line for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm somewhat curious what that would be like. Maybe we could, maybe just a bonus episode. We watch movie two or something sometime. We'll see. It depends on the demand. I, I, yeah. Like, let us know if you, if you guys want that. I Because honestly, I'm fine with re- revisiting. I want to see the characters and see, see what else they do. I think, I'm, you know, it's funny is like my memory of this movie isn't, and maybe I do have a little bit of nostalgia for it now that it's been like a decade plus. My memory of the movie is, is like that it was kind of forgettable and and like I didn't like watching it and throughout this and maybe it probably was helped by the fact that we read the book but it was fine you know I I enjoyed it I I like seeing it there's something fun about seeing actors before they sort of really hone their skills in in ways and it is fun to look back in time and see how they were as you know younger performers that's true something something struck a chord and and whether people feel like the performances are great or not it worked. Yeah, something in the story, something in the in the performances, something in the movie. Yeah, something worked. Um, at the end, they show a clip of, or they show a still of Multnomah Falls. Did you see that in the credits? I was curious if that was Multnomah. I remember seeing yeah. it and being like, that's I in wonder. Oregon. So I don't yeah. know why that made it into the movie. Well, <laughs> a lot of the movie was shot in Oregon, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of the movie was shot in Oregon. It's not supposed to be in Oregon, though. No, some of it was shot in Washington. So wait, they didn't they didn't shoot it in Forks. I'm not sure. I don't think they maybe they did a little bit, but I'm, I, from what I read, it was mostly shot in Oregon, and some of it was shot near Rainier, I think, which is Washington. That's right? Washington. Some in Rainier, and then some in Pasadena, California. Okay, I did look and uh, getting driving from Portland to Forks. I think it was like a five or six hour drive, something like that. Yeah, is so you're doable. going for for Forks Day or Twilight Day Twilight or whatever. Day. Yeah, good. 
<laughs> I mean, those little towns up there in the peninsula are, 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 you know, they have some character to them for sure. I can see why you'd choose one of those. All right, man, I think we've arrived at the point where we have to choose book or movie. And I'm going to, like, full disclosure, I didn't really know which way I'm going to go. And I I, um, I didn't know which way I was going to go at the start of this conversation. So I didn't choose. And I was kind of hoping that through this conversation, it would kind of push me one way or another. And I would be able to, to come to my final choice here. I'm still feeling a little bit on the fence. But I'm ready to force myself to make a choice. Do you? Are you ready? Maybe maybe you can go first. Yeah, I'll go first. Um so I had more fun with this project than I was expecting. I think that that's, that's clear. Um, it's like I said, it's something like a time capsule at this point for me. There's some nostalgia specifically with the movie, uh, seeing Robert Pattinson and seeing Kristen Stewart was a fun, was a fun journey and seeing it is kind of funny. I don't think there's any way to for approach sure. these roles. I think most kind fans would even say that, especially this movie, their performances are weird. They're off-putting. They're not they're not supposed to be taken very ser- very very seriously. Now, some people may love it and may disagree with me, but I there's something about even the blueness. It it defined the Pacific Northwest for for <laughs> th- like they they said this is what the Pacific Northwest looks like and it's very blue. And honestly, like if I was going to shoot something in that area, maybe not this far. I'm in color grade this far blue, but more blue. Uh it's overcast often. Uh it works well. I, I think it's fun and the, the vampires are interesting enough looking. Now, do I prefer other vampire stories? Yes. One, I mean, you mentioned one last week that I that I much prefer. I think uh, Let the Right One In. That story has a lot more of the nuance of like and the danger and the navigating difficult topics that I think a lot of vampire stories. Very different kind of story. But this one's fun. And yeah. I think it's a cool entryway for many people to get into a fandom, to get into film, to get into genre stuff. The romance is, is it's very emo. And that's, I will admit to that's something that I'm a little biased to is like that, that was really popular. Uh, that kind of music and all of that was really popular when I was around this age. So, you know, in this for this case, I'm going to I'm going to take the movie. And another thing that, that kind of pushes it over the edge for me is like that third act, I think, ended up being something more interesting in terms of a climax. And some of the some of the like getting acquainted in the beginning of the novel that kept me s- from getting really engaged quickly was done away with. And, and it kind of happens a lot faster in this movie. Man, I am I'm struggling because. There's, I mean, reading the book for the first time was interesting. You know, I talked about how I struggled with the prose, how I felt like the plot really didn't pick up into the last third. I felt like a lot of those problems were, were sort of solved in the movie. So I like a lot of the smart changes they made. You know, I'm, I'm obviously not struggling with, with prose, but... They're, they're, we're not struggling with prose because there's no prose in this case, but the dialogue has a lot of the same kind of issues that you would point to. for as Similar problems. It's It's just, yeah, it's kind of kind of clunky yeah it's you know definitely far from um my favorite maybe maybe you know i I don't even know where it would be on the list but probably towards the bottom as far as like vampire stories go but it's not as bad as everybody said and like again i think that kind of surprised me i was like this movie isn't that bad um and i kept thinking like i'm gonna choose the book i'm gonna choose the book i'm gonna choose the book but damn i think i think maybe the movie's gonna edge it out a little bit um because I was able, like, it felt like they improved some of the problems. And you know what I think actually might be the the determining factor is that I do like Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart as performers. You know, even if their performances... In, the, in this movie or just... No, no, no. Even if their performances here are not great and I didn't particularly love, 
and were often silly. I just like, like, if they went on to be really shitty people, then I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I would look back at this very differently. Whereas it's like, it, I don't know, they seem like interesting people. They seem like they're interesting performers now, and they've gone on to have, you know, cool careers. It's kind of an interesting feather in their cap at this point, right? Like, they're they're, they're creating this really fun filmography for themselves. And then they also have that thing they did when they were a teenager, and they could be sort of embarrassing and, and like not really define who they were yet it's I, I don't know like i mean pattinson's batman now i saw i saw spencer with kristen stewart and she's great in that movie like transformative oh, and, okay. and like she plays princess diana i've heard um, about that yeah and, yeah and she's great she's really really good and those are the kind of movies that like require someone who's really really introspective and can pull that stuff out of themselves in a performance and like, there's no question in my mind that she's a great, she's a, and she's a director as well. So that's another thing is that she's like gone on to be a great filmmaker. So it, it's cool to see these two artists kind of have that in the background. Like, you know, you think of, like I said, the Harry Potter type people. And I mean, I, ultimately these are both versions are silly. Both versions have a lot, you know, that you can laugh at and that you can analyze and say that well, that's not very well done. But they're both like undeniable phenomenons, and I ultimately feel very similarly about book and movie for this. Um, that's why it was so hard for me to choose. But I guess just by a hair, I'll give it to the film, just because I have to choose. We're not allowed to say tie at the end. We basically made that rule. <laughs> All right, man. We should announce our next our next project before people go. Um, we are going to be tackling The Fly coming up next week, which is based off of this like '50s short story. But we're going to cover the '86 Cronenberg film. Um, which is one that we've been talking about doing for a while. I'm going to be on a panel about horror sci-fi blends um, at NorwestCon, so it's going to be on my mind, like these kind of movies and stories. Um, so I'm excited to get into it. So if you if you like this coverage and you're interested in The Fly, which is very different, obviously, but if you know Cronenberg, um, we hope you stick around. We cover all kinds of different um styles of stories different genres of stories we bounce around we love to do fantasy sci-fi and horror most most prominently i would say um so if you're into genre definitely uh subscribe and and you know continue to listen we'd love to have you along for the for the ride yeah and we always like to say like if you if you if there's a project that you don't necessarily love check out our, some of the other ones we have and some in the upcoming ones because like like yeah look at our back catalog we've cut co- we've been doing this for years we've covered a lot of stories and uh we like to consider our stuff is you know evergreen so you can listen to it out of order don't worry about it if you enjoyed our coverage of twilight um, and i know a lot of you are enjoying this so please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on and if you like what we do here and you want to see it continue, consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ink to film. And we have all kinds of bonus episodes. We've referenced a few of them here um, over on Patreon that you can get exclusively on there. Um, and we'd love to have your support. And make sure to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at ink to film. We're also on TikTok. Shout out earlier to TikTok <laughs> yeah, and YouTube <laughs> and uh, really anywhere else. Yeah. Anywhere else you can look for us. YouTube is, a, is another platform. We're doing more video content uh, typically weekly, you'll see you'll see our faces for at least a short clip. And thank you to Dylan Owen for his song "Black Fingerprint," which we used as our intro and outro music. All right, so that's going to wrap up Twilight yeah. for now. Maybe we'll return someday, but that's going to be up to the listeners yeah. if they if they're interested enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had fun with it. Like you said, this was ultimately an enjoyable project. Um, yeah. Until next time, keep adapting. Uh-huh.